the number one mistake that newbie podcasters make in a Q&A environment. They talk too much. They talk too much. In a regular conversation, if you and I went to coffee, it would be like this. It would be like a tennis match. It would be even. You'd say a thing, I say a thing, like improv. You're on and now I'm on and we're sharing the stage. If you're interviewing someone, you are not devoting equal time to you and them. It's really focused on them. It is hard to believe that my podcast is turning four this year. To say that I'm proud, it's an understatement. To say I have it all figured out, that's an overstatement. Having said that, I've learned a thing or two. And last summer, I did a live webinar to offer what knowledge I possess about making and maintaining a podcast. And over 100 people joined and I loved every minute of it. It was such a great conversation. And I'm often asked for advice for those hoping to start a podcast or those wanting to turbocharge an existing podcast. And this episode is that webinar. It is my attempt to offer that advice in the most honest, entertaining way possible. And my hope is that it gives you the encouragement you need to get started or the shot in the arm you need to keep going. And if you're not a podcaster and never want to be, you still might dig the behind the scenes truth of what it really takes to hit record and hurl an audio message in a bottle into the vast ocean of ears out there. Lastly, this will be the penultimate episode in season four of 20 Minutes with Bronwyn. In two weeks, I'll be dropping the final episode of the season and you are going to love it, especially if you know a recent college graduate who's feeling a bit lost. I'll just leave that there. But then I'll take the summer off to recharge and come at you fresh in the fall. So enjoy, shine on, and let me know what you think. Here's the thing that I think people don't talk about enough when it comes to starting a podcast. And that is this. There are two wings upon which you fly as a podcaster. One wing is the wing of a real deep feeling that you want to contribute. There's that part of you that wants to make something. The world needs something. They need you. They need your idea. It's the altruistic side, that creative impulse that you've got that is half of the game. And it's the part of the game that we're all really super comfortable talking about because we just really want to be of service to the world. But there's another wing that we fly on, people. And that is the wing of ambition and a little bit of ego. And that's the wing nobody talks about. But it is absolutely part of this game. And so when you get started with a podcast, your first assignment, if you're going to be a total nerd and do all of the homework assignments that Bronwyn assigns, The first assignment is I want you to make a list. I want you to do column A. What is my intention from the deepest, realest part of my soul? What am I trying to put into the world? Who am I trying to reach and why? And make it beautiful. Be as gushy and high-minded and hippie as you want to be. And then I want you to go to the right. And I want you to own your ambition. Own it. Put it out there. And I'm going to be super transparent. For me, with 20 Minutes with Bronwyn, I wanted to create a safe place where people could learn to become better communicators. Because what I found, and there are other communication coaches in this webinar, is that people like me get called in to work with the CEO, the founder, the executive director, the PhD, somebody who's already slaying their career. They just need to bump it up a notch because they're about to talk to Wall Street Journal or whatever it is. And I always felt a little bad about that because the people who really need communication coaching are the people just coming up in their career or the people that keep finding themselves stalling out in their career and they can't freaking figure out why. So for me, my podcast was an effort to create a space where people could get all the tools for free without having to get a PO, without having to go through whatever. They could just get it It could be high quality and there's no strings. That was my intention. Okay, so that's the high-minded part. Now let's talk about the blonde ambition. The blonde ambition side of my podcast was that I want visibility. I want to grow my business. Someday I want to sell sponsorship or advertising. P.S. It's actually not hard to get advertising turned on to your podcast once you hit a certain level. 
The problem is the quality is real sketchy and you don't make a lot of money on it. So if you're like, why haven't you monetized your podcast yet? It's because I don't want whocares.com advertising on my podcast because it would barely cover the expenses. So if you've ever wondered that, and we can talk about the actual cost and the money part too, total transparency. But so on the ego side, I want visibility. I want more clients. I want to eventually monetize it. I want it to be another stool leg in my financial mix. Here's the shadow side though. So those are all like above the line business people. Like we could all agree and say, oh yes, that seems reasonable, good. But there's the below the line ego thing I have to own in the ambition side as well, which is I need people to like me. I need people to think I'm amazing. I need people to think, God, she has her shit together. What a wise, brilliant soul. Now, if you're honest and you're writing that shit down, my friends, what it does is it forces us to see the whole picture. In sort of union psychology, there's that idea of working with the shadow side of our personalities. If we know what our shadows are, if we know where the potholes are, we can steer better. And the fact is, if you decide to launch a podcast, it is going to put its bony little skeleton claw right on the part of your ego that hurts the most, which in my case is nobody sees you, nobody cares, you're not special. And for the first, I don't know, 18 months of whatever you launch, unless you're already famous, in which case high five, in those first 18 months, nobody's going to be listening. It's going to feel like your mom and dad, your cousins, your BFFs. I'm literally going through it all over again with my YouTube channel. And that is part of the journey. And so if you have written down in your ambition side, oh, this is an issue for me. It allows you to be like, oh, this is a thing for me. I got to forgive myself. I'm human. This is hard, but I'm not going to stop because what's keeping me going is this other wing, which is I am here to be of service to the world. And until I have done that, and I feel satisfied that the body of work that the world needs is out there. I'm going to keep going and I don't give a shit how many people listen. That's the value of starting this with absolute crystal clarity about why you're doing it on the good side and why you're doing it on the, uh, you know, ambition side, on the ego side. They both matter. They're both legitimate. So that is the underpinning. That is the underpinning. So let's just say you've done your list. You're like, you know what? I'm ready for this. I'm going to do this. I'm doing it. Now I want to talk about format because that has evolved for me over time. My journey went is I literally Googled, how do you start a podcast? And one of the first results that came up was a company called Resonate Recordings. Really good people. I've since switched to a different provider because they were getting so big. I needed like a smaller group that could really love me up. But they gave me an incredibly valuable piece of advice, which is when you launch, have five episodes banked because what happens is you do the first episode and you're like, oh my God, that was like having birth. That was like having a child. That was like having twins. And then what happens? Three weeks go by and you don't do anything. And whatever audience you might have been building, they're like, this person doesn't have a shit together. I'm out. So the advice they gave me was to have it stacked have your five episodes stacked. And out of the gate, I made the choice, which you made too. It's totally up to you. I made the choice to do once a week as a cadence. I don't know how you are, but that almost killed me. And within a few months, I was like, this is insane. Who do I think I am? I have a real job that I'm trying to do because I pour so much into these podcast episodes. I was like, oh my God, which actually leads me to the second point. Give yourself grace to experiment in season one. Season one, two, three, four, five. These are arbitrary structures. I just do it by season because sometimes I want to break. And I'm like, you know what? I need a break. That was season two. What just happened? Then we can regroup. We can reformat. We can reapproach it. What worries me about perfectionists who start a podcast is they go, oh my God, I told them it's going to be once a week. And now I'm stuck there for the rest of my life. You guys you got to give yourself grace. You've got to give yourself grace to learn how do you like to work? The other thing I learned early on from a format standpoint is podcasts are very scripted when it's just me talking because the Q and A's are loose. I know what I'm going to ask and we'll get into that in a second, but the episodes were just me talking. It's pretty scripted. 
And at the beginning, I'm like, you know what? I don't know why I'm so scripted. I need to be loose. So I did a couple episodes where I'm just being fabulous and riffing. Low quality, low quality. And the reason I think is in a conversation, maybe even with an Instagram live, there's a certain tolerance for loose and keep it wild and do your thing. But when you've got someone's attention in a car, that attention is not guaranteed. All they have to do is flip open a different podcast. So the reason my episodes are so scripted when it's just me talking is that every word, every sentence is designed to hold your attention. And that is if you literally take nothing else from this conversation today, the only thing you need to worry about as a podcaster is holding people's attention. I'm not even kidding. I mean, obviously there's some caveats and nuances to that, but everything in your skill set, tool set, production mindset has to be how do I constantly regrab, regrab, regrab the audience's attention? It's the name of the game. And I've noticed some podcasters have even gone to the extreme of like editing out breaths so that everybody sounds like there's no breath in between their talking because they're trying to keep the attention spans because TikTok has shattered our brains. I'm not quite there yet. I don't know that I like that, but I do think it's really important. So back to format for a second. Every podcast has a different vibe. Every podcast feels like a different neighborhood, a different house that you walk into. For my format, what I wanted to do was twice a month. Twice a month was all this girl could do. One of those episodes was going to be me teaching and preaching and imparting the skills I wanted to impart as per the original intention of the show. The second episode of the month is going to be an interview with someone additive to communicating skills, to communication skills, or just earth school skills. Somebody could bring something additional. And so within those two format types, attention span tricks are different one to the other. For example, when I am working on a just me episode, teaching and preaching, I worry a lot about the first two minutes. The first two minutes is when you either win or lose. And so I usually try and grab with an alarming statistic or I grab with a story or I grab them with the disclosure or something out of the news. And that has to happen right when the music is starting. There are some podcasters who do announcements and I'm going to be speaking here. And then I got this book I'm selling. I think that's dangerous. I don't want people to have to skip. I want them like, oh my God, I'm in it. One of the most inspiring podcasts of that ilk that I stole that idea from is called Hardcore History by Dan Carlin. He is incredible. And what he does is instantly drops you into a story. You feel like you've stepped out of linear time and you've dropped into this liminal space of, whoa, where are we right now? And there's actually a school of thought around that. And it's called theater of the mind. And I believe it got started when Orson Welles did the whole war of the worlds thing on the radio. Theater of the mind means that by saying something into your ear hole, I'm going to conjure images. I'm going to conjure space. I'm going to conjure sights and sounds and feels. And the way a lot of podcasters do that is like, you know, you'll listen to a podcast and you hear somebody walking. You'll hear the gravel under their feet. You'll hear the sound of birds. It's a very, very effective tool for creating theater of the mind. I don't have that kind of time or budget to go out and record gravel and stuff. But the way I get to theater of the mind is story, 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 story. What people have zero tolerance for in a podcast or anywhere else are platitudes. We should do that. You should do this. What I learned is this. That is how we lose people. What makes platitudes become wow, aha moments? Stories. So usually, not always, but usually there is a story I start with. If you're getting into the podcasting game, the two skills that I want you to really lodge into your brain so far. How do I hold the audience's attention? And how do I become really good at story collecting? Notice I didn't say storytelling. You're already fine at storytelling, I'm guessing. It's literally built into the wiring of your DNA. Even if you're not the greatest, it's in there. It just needs practice. It's the collecting that we suck at. I have a whole spreadsheet of stories that I plug in. If I read something in the news, I'm like, oh God, I'm going to use that somewhere. And I will plug it in my spreadsheet. 
I literally do a timed writing exercise every single day for 15 minutes where I write down something that happened to me the day before. Why? Because I end up needing them for my podcast or I end up needing them for a newsletter. It is more important than having a good microphone even, I think. Story collecting is everything. So I want to just kind of pause there and switch over to the other format, which is probably more likely the format you're going to pursue just given the trend that I see in podcasting, which is the Q&A format. So here's the thing. Let me just tell you the thing that I think is most important with a Q&A format. It is this. People don't want to hear small talk with your guest. They don't want to hear you asking them like, so how old are your kids? How was your, what'd you have for breakfast? They don't give a shit. They want you to start with something deep or something compelling and go. Now, does that mean that you know, your guest dials in and you're like, Whoa. no, you can have your small talk, but edit that shit out. The attention span thing is a problem. So we're dropping in with something deep, something insightful. Usually I start by saying, look, my intention for this conversation is for my audience to get X. And it's usually something good, juicy. And that sets the tone. Or I start with a really tough question. I have sort of put myself out there as an interviewer who's willing to ask the questions that are embarrassing to ask. Like I'm thinking recently of an interview I did with this incredible therapist named Sean Garcia, who's transgender. And the whole reason I wanted to have him on my show, he agreed to do this. I wouldn't just do this with anyone, but I wanted to ask the questions. I know the cisgendered community, people that are the same gender now as they were at birth, want to ask, but are embarrassed to in a kind way, not in a like, oh my God way, but like a legit meaningful way. And I was willing to expose my ignorance because that's what I think a good communication coach does when she's out of her depth. She owns what she doesn't know and she gets help. And I think that set a really interesting tone for the conversation. And it put listeners that might be nervous about this topic at ease. So really pay attention to where you begin. But generally, my rule of thumb for Q&A interviews is start with the sequential and make meaning as you go. When I'm just like, oh, God, where do I begin with this conversation? Start with sequential. Look for meaning as you go. And when you look at some of the best long form interviewers, you will see that they often follow that super, super simple cadence. So. Those things are incredibly, incredibly, incredibly helpful at just putting you at ease when you drop into this. I think I'm going to let you guys ask me if there's other things you want to ask about. I love this. Okay, let me roll back up. Doesn't the breath allow room for... Oh, this is to the earlier point, Miley. Yes. You're talking about when they're editing for breath. I got to tell you guys, there's something very, very, very interesting happening right now for those of us who are dorks about media production and attention spans. There is an interesting trend and it's mostly driven by YouTube, where if you have a YouTube channel, this is Bronwyn, youtube.com forward slash this is Bronwyn. If you have a YouTube channel, you can see where people drop off in your video fascinatingly, you will notice if you tighten the breaths in between your statements down to almost nothing, you don't lose people as often. Now, if you had asked me before I had a YouTube channel to give someone advice who's going on camera, that is not the advice I would give them. Like if you're going on CNN and you don't take a breath and you're just like, it would be a disaster interview, but YouTube is different. And the reason I tell you that story is that these formats are constantly evolving to match our attention span behaviors. And I think YouTube and TikTok and even Reels are shattering our tolerance for breath and pausing when it comes to a pre-recorded message. Now, I think live is different. And this is the other thing about communicating right now. I'm operating based on pure instinct. I don't know if that's true. It's just what I've observed. And until the research catches up to this moment, we won't really know. So for me, the way I consume podcasts is I like a minute to process. I need that beat to get an aha through the skull because I'm usually doing something else while I'm listening. So I'm okay with pauses in a podcast, but in YouTube, when people are searching for something, they're in crisis and they need help. They don't have time for me to pause. They want me to tell them the things. So the reason I'm going into all this nuance is that 
as communicators in using all these different mediums all the time, we need to keep our spider senses alert and ready to change, ready to morph, ready to do the next thing. So anyway, that was a long way to a ham sandwich. Sorry about that, Miley. Let's see. Yeah. Never start a funeral with logistics. God, that is so good. I've never heard that before. Question. Can you provide an example of start with sequential and make meaning as you go? So let me give you an example. I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Anna Lemke. She is about to release a book called Dopamine Nation. She is an addiction expert specialist at Stanford. She's just an incredible human being. And she wrote a book on this problem of sort of our dopamine addiction and how we need so much stimulation just to function right now because of a million reasons. So I've got this book that I'm reading of hers that's brilliant. And when you read a book like that by somebody as brilliant as her, you're like, Jesus, God, where do I begin? And where I will begin that interview is by saying, how did you know you needed to write this book? Where did that process begin? What was the moment? Which actually leads me to another really powerful technique. When you interview people, they will be inclined to just answer because they're like, oh my God, I'm being interviewed. I'm going to give you an answer. Answers are kind of boring. We're looking for stories. So the questions that prime your person to answer in story form are, when did you know? What was the moment that you realized A, B, or C? What's an example of how that manifested? These are phrases that elicit storytelling. Like I was just listening to, I'm not going to name the celebrity because God bless her. Maybe she'll be a client of mine someday, but I was listening to a podcast by a very famous celebrity and she is very, very worshiped and adored, but she is the worst interviewer because she never tells stories. She just says, you know what I think? I just think it's just really important to like love people you disagree with. And I'm like, okay, girl, sure. Sure. New Testament, 2000 year old message. Tell me a story. Tell me about when you almost got into a freaking throwdown at Whole Foods over someone who wouldn't wear a mask and how you loved them. That's what we're looking for. So when you get an interview and the person is very self-satisfied with their very hashtag basic answer, don't let them off the hook. Say, give me an example of that. It's okay. And this is the ultimate job of the interviewer. You are not asking questions as you. You are advocating for your listeners, for the skeptics in your audience, for the fans in your audience, for the people who love the person you're interviewing with, and for the people who think that person is full of shit. You got to ask all the questions. Not in a mean way, but for example, if I have somebody in whom I really believe, but I know there's a whole bunch of people that are skeptical about it, a great way to phrase a skeptic question is this. What do you say to people who believe X that is in opposition to what it is that you believe? What do you say to those people? What that phrase does is it takes you out of the enemy territory. You're like, oh my God, those people over there, I don't believe what they believe. But what do you say to those people over there? What is the message? It keeps the person you're interviewing at ease and it lets you be an advocate for both at the same time. Now, I do see journalists use that technique a lot when they're being kind and generous. It's not what they all do because sometimes journalists want to go in hard and as they should. But for me, my podcast is not a gotcha podcast. I'm not trying to trash somebody in an interview, but I am trying to get to the core of something. And I do need the quality of the conversation to be high because I respect my listeners. So, you know, you got to bring the heat, but bring it gently. Okay, let's see. Frustrating when interviewer tries to be smarter than the interviewee. Okay, so you just brought me to, this is the number one mistake that newbie podcasters make in a Q&A environment. They talk too much. They talk too much. In a regular conversation, if you and I went to coffee, it would be like this. It would be like a tennis match. It would be even, you'd say a thing, I say a thing, like improv. You're on and now I'm on and we're sharing the stage. If you're interviewing someone, you are not devoting equal time to you and them. It's really focused on them. And so if you want to share something because it is salient to the next question or because it's going to drive the conversation forward, by all means do it, but be mindful. If you go on a Q&A platform 
podcasts that are doing pretty well, you will see where the interviewer gets feedback. She needs to stop freaking talking. He needs to stop interrupting. And it's hard. It's so hard because in the moment it feels like a real conversation. It's not, it's an interview. Don't lose sight of that. And it's hard, right? Okay. Back in the day, the research used to say the attention spans were around seven minutes. The time between commercials during a sitcom on TV. Isn't that adorable? So you see Irvine, I've been looking at attention span research forever. And the latest that I've seen, I don't think anybody's done a real good look at it since COVID, but right, I think it was 2019, maybe 2018, UC Irvine came out with their most recent study of attention span. And the way they framed it was how often are knowledge workers switching screens, going back and forth? How long can we focus? And granted, there's a lot of caveats in that, but what was the multitasking tendency? What was that timeline? The first time Gloria Mark and her team at UCI did the study, I think the attention span was hovering at like the two and a half minute mark. And when it came out, I think it was like 2012 or something, people just freaked out. Oh my God, two minutes. We're a nation of idiots if we can't focus more than two minutes. The latest one, 45 seconds, 45 seconds. We're in deep shit, my people. It's real. It's real. So yeah, seven minutes is darling. There was that garbage research that was done that said, it was the attention span of a goldfish, which is seven seconds. It turned out that that research wasn't actually grounded in anything real, but the soundbite was, woof, it was good. I love that soundbite. Okay. Can you run through the questions again? God, the, the questions that elicit storytelling are, how did you decide to do X or Y or Z amazing thing that you're interviewing them about? What was the moment you realized X or Y? Give me an example of where that statement you just made is true. You are looking for examples. Use the word story. In fact, what I will do with people that I'm interviewing that I know are less adept, that they're just less experienced in going on camera or doing interviews, I will send an example question or two ahead of time. And I will say, hey, just a reminder, audiences want stories, not just answers. And that primes the person I'm interviewing to be ready. Because sometimes people get brain freeze, which you can edit out later. It's not a big deal. You can edit it out later. Same thing for UX research. Ask open-ended questions that cannot be answered in yes or no. Yeah. And look, if you get a real dud, we could spend three days on this topic. But one of the things that's very interesting, speaking of the ego and the deeper intention part podcasting, there's an interesting thing that happens. You hit a certain threshold of downloads I was going to say success, but I don't want to use that word because it just, it puts too much pressure. There's a certain threshold of downloads that you hit, at which point public relations people will start pitching you on their clients. And the way my ego works is I was like, oh my God, I am such a big deal. PR people know about me. Look at that. And it said yes to a few pitches that came through. Because I was like, oh my God, I'm so fancy. Like, I am so fancy. I was starting to get galleys, like advanced copies of people's books. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so fancy. And I felt the need to say yes. And a couple of times, I've never had anyone that was a total train wreck, but there were a couple of times where I was like, would I have chosen this person proactively? And the answer was no. And be careful. Do not let your ego determine who gets on your show. Don't you do it? Cause I did it and it feels terrible. And then you end up editing the bejesus out of it. And it's like 12 minutes long, which is actually fine. It's actually fine. The other thing is you're going to notice, and I can take a minute and look at this group. There's a lot of white people in this webinar right now. And look, I love white people. I am a white person, but do not make the mistake of only having people on your show that look and sound like you. It requires going and finding people of color that are doing extraordinary things in this world. But because networks are what they are, we grew up the way we grew up. Our networks are what they are. We have a responsibility to go and find the sensational talent that exists outside of our network. And that is something that I wasn't even conscious of it until last summer, or was it the summer before? I don't know. Years are melting at this point, but I looked at my podcast and I was like, Jesus, God, this is mostly white people. 
So I'm really consciously trying to make sure that my podcast guests represent what the world looks like. And that's not just like, oh, I'm trying to be PC. That's called reality. That's called lining up with what is. So I'm trying to get out of my white girl bubble and into a realm of being in alignment with where the world is. So keep that in mind too. Okay. What do you say to your guests if they ask you for the questions prior to recording? I feel it is better to come out more authentically and would love to hear your thoughts. Oh my God. So Sarah Freeman, whose podcast is called Raw, Rad Active Women. High five, Sarah. A little plug for you there. She had me on her podcast and she asked me a question that pierced my soul. And I answered it honestly, which I was not planning on doing. I talked about a trauma that happened to me and it's not a secret. I did a whole podcast episode on it, but I wasn't planning on talking about it. And if I had gotten the questions ahead of time, I might have just decided no, but I was so glad she did because it was the right format. It was the right place. My heart wanted to tell the story. And Sarah, to your point, I agree that had you sent me the questions ahead of time, that interview wouldn't have been as good as it was, not because of you, but because of me. Having said that, if I've got like a Megatron star, who's going to come on my show? Like I've had, I mean, I haven't had like Gwyneth Paltrow or anything on my show, but I've had some people that are pretty high profile. If in order for them to feel comfortable, they need five or six example questions, I'm going to send it to them because This is the dirty little secret of the interview format on podcasting. It is B-Y-A, bring your audience. So sometimes you will invite someone on your podcast because they have a massive audience and you need to grow yours. So you marry the two of them and you negotiate with them. Look, I'd love for you to share this with your audience and here's how. So Make sure that's also part of your prep. Like, hey, the expectation is you're going to share this with your audience. We would love that. Who knows if they will, but you got to try. Because the early days of growing the podcast are tough. And to this day, the three most downloaded episodes that I've ever done. No, so let's say the top five. Two of the top five are me just talking just myself. But the top three are Corey Rosen, who's the improv teacher. Dr. Adam Dorsey, who's a therapist, and my boy, Ben Kiker, who is on this webinar right now. Those are the biggest downloaded episodes. So that is also real. And it fits in the ambition side of this. So when you're planning your interviews, you want to honor like, look, I want the right people. And I also need people that are going to drive traffic because that's what this is about. Now, if you ask me specifically, since we're talking about audience growth, just for a second, the thing I wish I would have done sooner, and I still haven't even done it right. I wish I would have been savvier about using a transcript service to make my podcasts easier to search. Guys, this is a massive hole in my strategy, always has been. I literally am working on solving that right now. There's some really great, in fact, maybe I'll pull it up and drop it in the chat. There's this service that just started reaching out to me and I'm starting to work with them where I think it's like, I want to say it's like 10 bucks for 35 hours of transcripts and they instantly make it beautiful and just plugs into your website. Lord, have mercy on my soul. Had I wished I had done that because my shit is not easy to search. And all of the love and attention I poured into that podcast, it is absurdistan that I never got around to making it search worthy. The fact that I have almost 150,000 downloads is by the grace of God because it's really hard to search. I mean, honestly, there are things I wish I could just tell my former self, but there it is. So let me go back to the questions. How often do you source questions from the audience in advance? God, it's such a great question. Henry, let me think about this. The audience that I have the most give and take with, the audience that talks to me, active clerping, is my Instagram audience. Weirdly, there isn't always a one-to-one overlap with podcast listeners. So I've tried, hey, what questions do you have for my guests? People aren't that interested, but if I'm like, oh my God, I need a steamy summer beach read. Oh shit. I hear from everybody. So I tend to 
not source it from there just because I haven't had a lot of success. That's not to say I wouldn't in the future. It's just, I find that it's more authentic and organic if I ask my own questions, but that could change. I could change. One quick thing too, I want to say while I'm waiting for somebody to say I have a question. One of the weirdest things that I did when I started my podcast that really helped me set the tone and fall in love with the process is I went on Google, on the Google, and I Googled Johnny Fever and Venus Flytrap from WKRP. I found images of each man's face and I cut them out with my scissors and I taped them on the wall because I wanted to be reminded of a couple things thanks to Johnny Fever and Venus Flytrap. And if you're too young and you don't know what WKRP of Cincinnati is, it was the greatest show ever in the history of shows from the 80s. Maybe it was the 70s, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, it was a great show. And it was about a radio station in Cincinnati. And these two freaking DJs were so hilarious, but also so connected to their audience. When they would get on the mic and they would like swing it around, they'd have their things. And Venus Flytrap was like the late night soul player. And he would like play his chimes and be like, how we doing babies? Let's get deep with some funk. And I love the intimacy, like Johnny Fever and Venus Flytrap knew their audience, like they were tight. And I wanted that intimacy with people I'd never met before. And I know it's a show and those aren't real people, but they were to me, God damn it. And so I put them on my wall. And when I recorded, I had that dual side airbag of playfulness, but also soulful connection with people I'd never met. So do something weird to get yourself, because here's the thing. If you are scripted and you're like, holy shit, I'm speaking into the void. It's going to sound like this. Welcome to my podcast. Super glad you're here. We're going to talk about, I'm already skipping. I'm already like, I'm not into this podcast. That voice is flat. That is boring ass shit I am hearing. I'm not interested and I skip it. But if you are about voice modulation, you're talking to someone you love so much and it's coming through and you're squishing up your face and you're making a big smile and your energy is like this. What that does is it sends a massive lightning bolt of energy through the microphone. And tactically what it does, and I checked with my friend who's a speech therapist, when we smile or squish or get excited, it changes the shape of our soft palate. It changes the shape and the tenor and the style of how the air pumps out through our voice box. It literally changes the frequency of the sound wave. Now, contrast that with the vocal fry that has become cool right? The Kim Kardashian. I don't really get ruffled by anything. I just speak in a monotone because no, I'm nobody's fool and nobody can fuck with me. I mean, I don't want to listen to that. There's a fascinating interview with, on the Goop podcast with a guy that wrote a book about voice that I will send in the follow-up that was so good that talks about vocal fry and how dangerous it is, especially in this attention span world. The point is do what you need to do to solicit energy, variation, highs and lows. Okay. What were your fears when you started the podcast? Okay. The number one fear, which of course my best friend, who's a lawyer said out loud, because that's who she is. She's like, Blanche, that's our nickname for each other. She's like, Blanche, you're going to run out of stuff to say because she's a lawyer. It's what lawyers do. They're like, you're going to get sued. And that fear was already in my mind, but because I am a little bit of a unicorn believer in miracles, I know that that is the case, that someday I probably will run out of material, but the material I do have, I feel like is helpful. So it is true. I will run out of material eventually, at which point I'll just stop the podcast. It's okay. Nobody will die, but I wasn't going to not start because of fear that I would then have to stop. That reminds me of like in fourth grade, my best friend Colleen was so afraid to have a boyfriend in junior high school because she was afraid of the breakup. I was like, girl, You can't live your life that way. Don't be afraid to podcast because you're afraid of the breakup, people. Get out there. Do some dating. Okay. Do I ever listen to my voice? How do you get over not loving your voice? Layla, this is one of the weird things about me. I'm a singer. I'm a podcaster, speaker, all the things. I hate the sound of my singing voice. I literally want to hide. Remember in the Avengers movie, how there's like people's fade into dust? That is what I want to do when I hear my singing voice. I feel like I sound like hell. 
which is weird because people seem to like my singing voice, but my speaking voice kind of love it. Not going to lie. I love my speaking voice. If you are someone that hates your voice, I would call your friends who are lawyers who will tell you the truth. If you have a voice that is weak or it's monotone or it doesn't have variance, that's something you can work on. It is. You just get a little bit of coaching. In fact, you can go on YouTube and get a bunch of free coaching. In fact, Roger Love is the most famous voice coach of all time. He's worked like John Mayer and all these famous singers. Just get a bunch of free content and work on your voice. Like it's okay. The point is take the emotion out of it. Ask your friends that will tell you the truth always and be like, hey, if you were me, would you get voice modulation support? Would you beef up your voice if you're going to podcast because is my voice too monotone? Also, if you're someone who makes statements and they sound like questions, like everything you say has a question mark at the end, you got to work on that. You got to work on that. I had to work on that. I grew up in Orange County, California, where we all totally talk like this all the time. It's like a real thing. I had to unlearn that shit. So ask people who will tell you the truth about your voice if you're worried about it. If you're not worried about it, rock on, rock on. Okay. I still remember your voice at TE Connectivity event. Oh my God. Where you coach us to do the Wonder Woman pose before speaking. Oh, this pose is everything. This pose is so helpful because it sends a signal to the brain that everything's cool and we're about to kick ass. So yes, I'm so glad you remember that. Okay. Let me think about what advice I would give for growing. Here's the thing. There seems to be a Venn diagram of people that start podcasts and there's the people that start podcasts because they're big hearted and the magical thinkers of the world and they seem to overlap. (laughs) If you start a podcast and you think, oh my gosh, God is my publicist. I just have to put it out there and they will come. That is not the case. God is busy in Afghanistan right now. She doesn't have time to promote your podcast. No one in the universe is going to work harder for your podcast than you. And I don't mean that I don't believe in the universe. I do. But you need to make it simple for people to share. That means go on Canva, get a free account, make graphics, use Instagram, use LinkedIn, get after it, make it so dead easy to share. And don't just put in the socials, hey, I recorded a conversation with Dr. So-and-so about sex therapy. And there's a bunch of sex therapist podcasts out there. Why would I watch that? If you put, oh, well, I recorded a podcast with Dr. Hershert about sex therapy and I revealed my number one hang up. Honey, people are going to click on that. We got to play the game. We got to make it easy. And we got to make sure our guests are armed with the skills and the tools they need to share broadly. Now, not all of them do. In fact, the thing that makes me the most cross is when a PR person pitches me somebody, they come on my podcast and they don't do diddly squiddle to promote it. In fact, in going into the Q4, I'm not doing that anymore. No moss. Okay. Any other questions? Let's see. Oh yes. JD, come off mute. Come on mute. You guys, this is JD Schramm, who is also a baller communication coach. Take it away, JD. So this has been awesome. I'm just eating this up. Full page of notes here. It feels like the podcast train has left the station. It feels like there's so many of them out there. You can't break through the noise. I should have done it 18 months ago. I should have done it before COVID. Why get into it at this point? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that question. I'm so glad you asked. And there's so many jokes about like how now people aren't trying to give TED Talks anymore. They're just trying to get half start podcast, right? It's like a cliche. Here's what I would say. It really depends on your intentions. JD, for somebody like you, you already have a niche. You already have, you know, people who know you. You have a massive network of people that want to hear from you and want what you have. So you're not actually trying to break through noise. You're trying to support the people who know you and who will know you with what you know. So for example, if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm going to do a true crime podcast. You are breaking through noise. That is an established category. People love, they're very loyal to their people. Unless you have a spin, maybe your spin is like, yeah, but I'm going to talk about the astrological signs of serial killers. Ooh, that's good. Now that I would listen to. I think the narrative that the train already left the station is not helpful. I think it's the wrong question to ask. I think the question is, what are you saying that the world needs to hear? 
and how many other people are saying it. JD, I don't think there's that many communication specific or I don't think there's that many podcasts. And even if there were, it's like fingerprints, like my style and the advice I give is so specific to me as a human. Your style is so specific and unique to you as a human. And it's always chemistry. You know, all the communication coaches, we all refer business back and forth to each other because we don't feel like we're in competition with one another. It's a chemistry game. An executive that totally jams with me wouldn't with JD. An exec that totally loves JD would hate working with me. I think we should all feel that way about podcasting too. There's room for everybody, but we have to have the patience to be mouse farts in a very loud universe. We got to be patient. We got to be grounded in what the end game is. One more thing I want to say about that. And that is for people that are building a podcast around their existing business. Nothing I have done in my marketing efforts has been as powerful as having a podcast for getting new business in the door. My numbers may not be Dax Shepard's numbers of downloads. I'll be super transparent. I've had almost 150,000 downloads total. My average per episode is only about 1,500. The big guys, they get 10, 20,000, a million per episode. So for me, if I'm comparing myself to Dak Shepard or Tim Ferriss, I'm going to feel like shit every day, but I'm not. I'm running my own race. I'm swimming my own lane. And I am rarely losing new business because people already know what they're getting when they come. They already know. And they either want it or they don't. So isn't that great? Solves it. People opt in. I'm going to quote the amazing Tina Tran for the podcast y'all did. Don't weed yourself out. Boy, what an, what a conversation, Tina Tran. You should go back and listen to that. Don't weed yourself out. Just get in. What are you saying that the world needs to hear? Yes, Sarah. Yes. You guys want to know what you can do to help me in my life? Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I am back to square one with audience building. Only this time it's YouTube. (laughs) It is so much harder than it looks. So just to wrap this up, here's the thing. It is an overwhelming thing to start a podcast. It's even more overwhelming to keep it going because it has to fold into your existing life somehow. So what I want you to do is keep in mind what is the truth of the real reason you're doing it from an altruistic standpoint? What's the truth from an ambition standpoint and an ego standpoint? And have those things visible. Tape them on the wall because it reminds you what the hell you're here to do and why. The other thing is have grace. Give yourself grace. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have errors. You're going to post inaccurate information every so often. Just this morning, I realized my Instagram thing said the wrong time for this webinar today, literally. So that happened. The point is the only way people who are putting out content, we are going to mess up sometimes. Do not let that stop you. It's okay. We're just human. We are just human. That is all we are. So be kind to yourself and keep in touch with me. I want to know how it goes and I want to help you promote your shit too. So when you get out there, let me know. So I'm going to interrupt myself for a second here, just to say that the question you're about to hear, I had to cut out because I wasn't able to track down the person who asked the question to ask for their permission. And I take that stuff really seriously. So I will tell you what they asked. They asked me the question, how do I prepare for a podcast interview? And this was my attempt to answer that question. God, there's like art and science to this. The practical thing is that I will usually do my own research. And I used to be in public relations. And the thing about being in PR, especially in tech PR, is you had to get really smart about a category very, very, very quickly. And it trained my brain. I grab an article that is a general article. I try and find something critical that's been said about the person so that I know what the edges are here. What are the fans saying? What are the skeptics saying? What's an interesting quote that they've said? But usually I tend to interview people about the books they've written. And so I'll tell you, I read those books. I read those books and that takes time. Luckily, I am quick study. So I'm like, and I write down my questions. So that's the practical tactical. It can be a couple hours of prep. The art part of it though, is that I truly believe 
that the universe, whatever higher power is out there, has put me with this person at this moment for a reason. So part of me is listening. What am I supposed to ask this person? So here's an example. Do you remember at the beginning of COVID when that black journalist in Montana was covering a storm or something and those bison came at him and he's like, oh, I'm not trying to mess with you. I just happened to reach out to him and I was like, hey, I know you're probably slammed because you're on CNN, but like any chance you'd want to come on my podcast? I didn't know what I was going to ask him. I just knew there was a story there. And he's like, sure. So I did some research. I just went and watched a bunch of his old clips looked at his background, like he's from Baltimore. He's now a newscaster in Montana. There's a story there. And so I let sort of my intuition and I think a higher power kind of move the questions. And what it was, it was a story about what it's like to be a journalist on the ground in a market where you're the only person of color within miles. What it's like to cover all of the activism he's been covering. And nobody was asking him those questions. They were asking him like, oh, how was it with the bison? I'm like, I don't give a shit about the bison. Who are you? How did you get there? What's going on in your mind? And his story was incredible. So to me, it's like you do the work that you have to do that's respectful to the person you interview. But I believe that there's always something bigger at play that wants you to do something interesting. And I try to let that come through. So I hope that helps. Hey, if you're still with me and you haven't already, hit subscribe so you can get my latest episodes delivered hot off the press. And feel free to share this with someone who could use a little inspiration. If you're looking to go further on this journey as a communicator, head over to bronwyncommunications.com forward slash subscribe. And on Monday mornings, you will receive a communication tip to work with for the week. And on Saturday mornings, you'll receive a short little email with three things I am listening to or reading or digging right now. Also find me on my new YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash this is Bronwyn, B-R-O-N-W-Y-N, where I drop new content every Thursday covering strategies for getting more confident during moments of conflict. And speaking of conflict, if you're dealing with a tough client or work situation and you need better skills for managing difficult conversations, check out my new online course called the No Enemy Client Conversation. And that is noenemy.bronwyncommunications.com. That's noenemy.bronwyncommunications.com. As always, you can find me on Instagram at bronwynsf where I offer a lot of behind the scenes insights into how I make all this content and run my business for those coaches and solopreneurs who need a little inspo. And lastly, if your company organization needs a high voltage keynote speaker, who knows how to melt phases and blow minds virtually or in real life, I'm your gal. Shoot me a note. Let's make some magic happen. That's Bronwyn at bronwyncommunications.com. Take care and shine on.